0: Hello. I not believe we've met. Lucifer, Morningstar. Hello, Clark. What? Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Uh that just a trash can. It's just a trash can? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's an old-fashioned. Welcome to Sacred Panels issue number one. Uh, This show we talk about comic books and uh, related such things. I'm your host, David. And for our inaugural issue, we are going to give a review of Wonder Woman 1984, the sequel to 2017's spectacularly incredible Wonder Woman film, uh, directed by Patty Jenkins, starring Gal Gal Gadot. You know, one of these days I should probably look up to see how you properly pronounce her name. I'm sure it's easy enough to do. I just haven't done it yet, so uh, that's on me. My bad. So I guess right off the bat, Wonder Woman, the first film, I loved. In fact, I've rewatched it recently. I've watched it a number of times over the last, what, three, four years. And it gets better with every viewing. I think Gal Gadot uh, is just perfect as the character of Diana Prince. And her chemistry with uh, Chris Pine is just bonkers. It's so good. And the film itself, despite the fact that, you know, it has this ending, which Patty Jenkins has, has come back to say, you know, it wasn't the original ending she wanted, but the studio wanted a, a bigger, more explosive ending, which is the Ironically, one part of the film that people ever criticize. I was fine with it. I mean, it, it's a superhero film. You're going to have good guys and bad guys probably punch each other at some point. Yes, it's your standard big destruction at the end, bruhaha. But you know, it was it was very cool though. We got Ares in his traditional costume, a la George Perez. So I really did like that. That was a, a very nice touch. Fast forward now into 2020. And uh, we don't even need to talk about all the the insanity that was the year 2020. But it did give us Wonder Woman 1984, which debuted on Christmas Day on both uh, HBO Max and in movie theaters. God bless your soul if you actually went out to the theaters to see this. Um, I did not. I've had HBO Max uh, pretty much the entire time it's existed. I am a huge mark for DC Comics, and I have had the DC Universe service for quite a while and have enjoyed it. And when it became pretty obvious that the video portion was going to head over to HBO Max, I just, uh, I actually signed up for HBO Now, I think was the service. I don't know, it's real confusing. Warner Brothers made a, a real strategical error calling this service HBO Max, considering they already had like four different HBO services out there. It was just really, really confusing. Why they didn't call it Warner Brothers Plus or Warner Brothers Streaming or some some crap, I don't know. Probably because the name HBO is held in high regard. It's a, it's a, it's a valued brand. So I can understand them wanting to go with that. But uh, besides the point, I signed up before HBO Max was actually released because there were a few things on HBO I wanted to watch. Held on to the service until it converted to HBO Max. Have had it the entire time. It's fine. I mean, it's not the best service. It's not the worst service. I've used it a lot in the last week or so between re-watching Wonder Woman and watching Wonder Woman 1984. Uh, I also went back and have watched uh, the original, or the original, the 1978 Superman film, which is gonna come up a little bit later on in our review. I started watching Watchmen. I've gotten through episode six, I think is what I'm on. I have to be in the right frame of mind to, to watch that. It is exceptionally well done. The craftsmanship, the um, acting, the directing, the script, everything, it's it's a beautiful piece of art. But I have to be in the right frame of mind to watch it because it's real dark and it's um, challenging. And if I'm being completely honest, while I respect Watchmen as a piece of work, it is not something that I love and hold dear. So there's that going for it. But the whole point of this Episode or excuse me, this issue because that's what that's the gimmick we're going for with this show. We don't have episodes; we have issues because comic books. Anywho, let's talk about Wonder Woman 1984. To say that my expectations were very high for this film is an understatement. But I trust Patty Jenkins; I think she is pretty incredible. I have yet to see Monster, but I've never heard a bad thing about it just Wonder Woman in and of itself was a phenomenal, phenomenal film that I loved. And, you know, I've watched it many times. I've watched Batman v Superman uh, many times. And I will say that the extended edition or the ultimate edition or whatever the heck it's called is the superior film. It's the version that's on HBO Max. If you've never seen it, it is well worth watching. Some people were like, well, it was movie was too long. Why does it need an extra 30 minutes? And I tell you what, the, that extra 30 minutes makes the movie go by quicker because the story in so many places makes sense. Anyway, I think the best thing to do, because I'm not going to do a, you know, a thorough breakdown. I'm not going to go do any deep analysis into this film because that's just not how my brain works. I'm in, Even in college, which I'm trying to complete right now, as ironic as a, you know, 46 year old man, trying to finish his bachelor's degree. But some of the stuff I've had the, the hardest time with is a literary analysis because I just don't do it well. I don't – when I consume media, when I when I watch comic book films, when I read comics, I come at it from a couple of different angles. First, I just get immersed in in the product and, and in the story and in what's going on. Uh, and second, I do – which you might be able to guess from the, the name of the show – I do kind of look at these things as, in a way, as modern day scriptures. It certainly is modern day mythology. So I come to this material with a reference. So I'm not picking apart and analyzing scenes and thinking about, you know, why did the director choose this camera angle or this and that? I actually had to do that this last semester for a class and I sucked at it. Um, it's just not not my cup of tea. Speaking of, so this side note real quick. This class I just finished was, was called uh, Film and Other Media. I took it at the University of Oklahoma uh, with a tremendous professor, Dr. Nelson. Uh, excellent class. One of our units was on uh, basically film noir, and uh, which is a genre. going to say it right now. I don't get it. I don't enjoy it. We watched The Big Sleep. I, we read The Big Sleep. Awful book. It's just absolutely terrible. I did not get any enjoyment. I know it's considered a classic. I know it set the stage for a lot of things. It's just not for me fair. Uh, the film is no better, and if I would be lying if I said I sat through the whole thing. I got 15 minutes of it, and I just had to tap out. I could not do it. We also watched Devil in a Blue Dress, the 1995 film starring Denzel Washington. This movie was actually very good. I don't know what the hell was going on. Um, I don't know what any character's motivations were, Aside a little bit of the main character, you almost had to think too much in that film, and I'm not someone that thinks you need to dumb stuff down for your audience. I think that's relatively insulting. Just ask any fan of WWE how insulting that is, and they will tell you. But I also don't think you should just be so obtuse about what is happening that it's a um, it's a challenge, or or your your audience has to. Approach it almost like a piece of homework to figure out what the heck the story is and, and why characters are doing what they're doing. So that that bothered me. But we, and speaking of of that a segue, that's going to come up in my review of Wonder Woman eighty four. But we'll get there. Anywho, so we also read and watched the film Atomic Blonde. Now Atomic Blonde is based off of a graphic novel by Hold on, I've got it right over here by me. I... No, I don't. Well, crap. I thought I had it. Um, okay, I guess I took it upstairs and put it in my graphic novels. Anyway, uh, so the graphic novel was originally called The Coldest City, and it takes place in East or in West Berlin. It takes place in Berlin, right at the fall of the Berlin Wall. The graphic novel itself is very much a, a noir, a take on noir. It's very sparse. It's, a, it's black and white. The artwork is, I mean, the, the really the best word to describe it is sparse because there's so, it's so minimal and there's not much detail given. And then there is one moment where there is a face that takes up an entire page and the detail is tremendous. And it does. It creates such an emotional impact, and I think that's one of the reasons why everything else was so sparse. But then we watched the 2017 film, starring uh, Charlie's Thorin, Thorin, another name I can't pronounce. And quick side note: if you've ever seen the. Uh, posters for this film. There's one that has a basically Charlie's silhouette and it says atomic blonde. And in this film, she has shoulder length, blonde hair, and some nice little bangs. And I have this distinct memory. I was in a, in a movie theater and walking and I saw a poster for this film. And I thought, holy crap, someone's doing a blondie biopic. And I got super excited. And then I realized, no, no, that's not a blondie biopic. That's an action movie and I had no interest in it and I didn't know much about it until this class and read the book, watched the film and thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed the film. So we had to do a research paper at the end of class and I did a paper on basically comic book adaptations and a large portion of the paper was spent to the history of of comic books and uh, comic book adaptations on, on the big screen and my professor, bless his heart, um, I don't think he likes superheroes very much or, or specifically I don't think he respects them. Uh, and this is based on comments he made on my paper. I mean, I gotta be not complaining, especially considering I wrote it like oh, a day or two before it was due and it was uh, supposed to be an eight to 10 page paper. I think it ended up being 14. I worked uh, worked real hard on it. But uh, anyway, um, Professor... Obviously, was not a huge superhero person, and he makes he would make comments in class a few times about you know almost a a um, guilty pleasure how much he enjoys superhero films. Now it's it's funny I'm I'm not one of those people who's like anti guilty pleasures, uh, but there is also a part of me that says you know just like what you like you know you do you boo it's it's all good. As I sip my tea, uh, hot green tea is 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 the nectar of the gods, if you ask me. Anyway. um, But there's still an error that, you know, superhero films, superhero comics are kind of less than. And uh, that does bug the bejesus out of me. You know, I do have my own guilty pleasures. Maybe I'll tell you about them someday. It's really only one. And it's musical, because my other big thing is music. But that's neither here nor there. Anyway, the entire point of this is in the critique on my paper, he told me that uh, really there should have been more of analysis of the film and the comic, kind of a breakdown of scenes, um, breakdown of, of why I think, you know, a, a certain thing was done this way, what the motivation was behind certain lightings, what is this supposed to mean, yada, yada, yada. And I have a problem with that, just because I can't read the creator's mind. And maybe it's very valid. It is valid to sit back and, and analyze something and dig into why you think this might be the way it is. I don't like definitively saying this is the way it is just because, because who the heck knows? I mean, do you even know? Are, are you talking to the director or the writer or the artist? I, I don't know. I'm not going to put words in their heads. Um, I'm not a political talking head out there telling you exactly what other people think because I don't know, and I have enough respect for other people out there to not pretend that I know what they think unless they tell me. So that is an issue I have sometimes with um, with literary analysis, and it's it's not just modern stuff. I, I had that with uh, Arthurian legend. Uh, because especially how are we supposed to know what someone 500 years ago was thinking when they wrote this stuff? But that is uh, neither here nor there, but just some ramblings of my dumb ass. So uh, let's get into the nitty-gritty of it. Wonder Woman 1984. The film does open up with a tremendous flashback sequence back uh, back to Themyscira, and I love little... Little Diana, the actress who plays her, her name's Lily, and I'm forgetting her last name. I think it's Lily. I know it starts with an L. So adorable, and she just nails this part. And it's a, it's a fun, it's a fun sequence. But in there is a lesson to it that ties in with the rest of the film. I think this is a case where the point isn't quite uh, driven home enough to really make sense but i don't think the problem was with this scene i think it happens later in the film so let's kind of break down what i thought was the good and then the bad and some some other thoughts so and actually the last time the second time i watched the film i grabbed out a a uh, composition notebook here got in my uh, hot little hand and decided to start writing down stuff because if i didn't have some stuff written down when i sat down to record i wasn't going to know what to say so the good uh, first thing is the performances are outstanding for the most part. Uh, Gal Gadot, uh, Chris Pine, and Kristen Wiig are all turn in fantastic performances. Kristen Wiig just goes from being this you know kind of pathetic loser who your just heart breaks for at least mine does, and seeing the way that people treated her and the way she just wanted some acceptance. And she just never got it. And why she would be seduced by what she was seduced with later in the film. uh, To then turn around and, for lack of a better term, turn into this kind of sex kitten. And it's uh, just incredible, um, the performance she gives. Chris Pine is, is just great. He is really funny. I love him as Captain Kirk. He did an amazing thing in those three Star Trek films where... He nailed the character of Captain Kirk without ever at one point giving us any kind of William Shatner impression. But you could tell it's the same character. Uh, so it just he did a phenomenal job, and his chemistry with uh, with Gal Gadot is just through the roof. They are so good together, and his comedic timing is so good. You know, if I find out the man can sing and dance, it's just all over. It's not fair. No human being should be that attractive, that funny, and be able to do everything else. It's like, you know, Chris Evans. There's this group of Chris's in Hollywood. They're all freaking hot as all get out. Mr. Pine is one of them. Uh, but man, and some of the best, truly best moments of this are his fish out of water. And that's something I loved. The first film was Diana being a fish out of water. And the second film is... Is Steve Trevor being a fish out of water, and I loved how the, that reversal happened. I just thought that was that was a brilliant piece of filmmaking. Um, and of course, uh, Gal Gadot as as Diana Prince is just phenomenal. She is breathtaking. She is mesmerizing. She is believable. And what I love about her, and what they what Patty Jenkins nails with this character is the essence. Wonder Woman is is an aspirational character. She's one of those characters that you are exposed to, and um, unless you're just a stone-cold, you know, psychopath or poop or just don't get it, she's the kind of character that makes you want to be a better person, just by being around her, being exposed to her. She does that as As a a character within the material, she makes everyone around her want to be better. And she does that to the reader or the viewer. And Wonder Woman is, you know, in my top five favorite characters in comic books of all time. But this does take us to the heart of the film. The heart of the film is fantastic. It really captures the feeling that you want from a Wonder Woman film. And it does that well. And I think so much of that comes from the performances. There is a very good message in the film about truth being important, about consequences for your actions, and about yeah, understanding your place. And there's a lot of about compassion. And I think even something that... Diana learns in the film is that she has this, you know, great responsibility and this great burden that she has to shoulder. But I think she also learns compassion because if if you remember the first few scenes with her and Barbara Minerva, uh, Kristen Wiig's character, she's kind of dismissive. I mean, yes, she shows up and. She helps Barbara with her fallen papers and everything. But as soon as Barbara asks, you know, Diana, hey, you want to go to lunch? She just kind of blows her off. Uh, At the beginning of this film, the one thing that you really see is that Diana is probably on purpose keeping herself away from, from everyone else. She is keeping herself separated and... I mean, considering the fact that she's basically immortal, and everyone that she ever is going to know is going to you know, grow old and die, as as you know, shown by a fantastic photo of an old Etta Candy with her. Uh, I loved that. That was a nice little nod. So it's got a good message. The humor is fantastic. I just I laughed at a few points. It's really good stuff. The invisible jet. Oh my! Having the invisible jet show up. And actually giving an explanation of how it happens is just tremendous. I, I, I popped hard for that. Um, the way that Diana learns to fly is also is, is great. And the fact that she learns from a lesson that Steve teaches her is just incredible. That whole scene of the two of them in the jet uh, when they're flying over the fireworks and all, it's, it is top-notch stuff. Oh, oh one other thing. Um, motivation. I think the film does a really good job in explaining both Diana and Barbara's motivation. So Diana's motivation to want to keep Steve around, because the whole the whole juxta of this film, you know, has to do with this this wishing stone essentially that grants you a wish, but it comes at a price. They keep referring to it as a monkey's paw. Now I admit I did I don't know what what that reference is, and I think. It would have helped the film, and this we'll get into this with some of the bad, had that reference been explained a little bit more. But her, her motivation, her heartbreak, at, at, look, I do everything to take care of people. I work tirelessly to, to keep people safe. Can't I just have this one thing? Your heart breaks for her. And on the flip side, Barbara's is is completely understandable she is someone who is a no one who is overlooked who is at you know the the best ignored at the worst derided and made fun of and people talk behind her back even though she can hear them because she's awkward and nerdy and and all that so her motivation and her desire for the wish that she she gets and then her desire later on to make sure that nothing happens to that wish and it's not taken away makes perfect sense so those are the good things about the film. Also, the film looks really good for the most part. There's some questionable CGI, uh, but there's almost always questionable CGI in these films. I mean, how often do you see a film where there isn't a little bit of questionable CGI, maybe Avengers Endgame, all the CGI and that looked pretty darn good. I would actually also argue that Jurassic park CGI still to this day, you know what? Almost 30 years later looks real top notch. Um, uh, as I sip some more tea. So let's talk about the bad. So the bad is that, first of all, there's too many villains. This film suffers from what sequels often suffer from. Too much going on, too many villains. It's, it's the whole idea of take what made the first film good and then just add more to it, do more stuff. Uh, Deadpool 2 had this problem and was not as good of a film. It's rare that a second movie comes along and is better. You know, your Spider-Man 2s, your X-Men 2s, your Superman 2s are the exceptions, not the rule, to this, this whole idea. So the fact that this film suffered from some of that is disappointing, but also it just, it's kind of a thing that happens. So Pedro Pascal's Maxwell Lord there was a lot going on there and none of it was explained well um, his motivations were never explained well uh how the actual wish stone thing or whatever it was called did it ever was it ever given a full name I can't remember how it worked was never really explained um, but before we get to that uh, Pedro Pascal's performance I did not like he just I mean I, yeah I know he's going for kind of swarmy, it just—he put a lot into it. The effort was there, but just something was off about it. And it was—it was an interesting take on the character of Maxwell Lord. I don't know, man. It—it's it, interesting. The uh, Maxwell Lord has actually been uh, featured in the Wonder Woman ongoing comic book in the last year, and I'm sure that had to do with the fact that the movie was coming out. And in that, you do get the—you get the longer history. Between them, you know, Max Lord had essentially was part of the Justice League for a long time before he became a villain and was killed by Wonder Woman uh, in the events right before Infinite Crisis. Actually, in a title called Countdown to Infinite Crisis, uh, back in 2005, uh, she just straight up snapped his neck on national TV. In her defense, he was mind controlling Superman at the time to make him do some bad stuff, uh, so she did what she felt she had to do. Anyway, uh, the Max Lord in the film does not at all represent or even resemble the Max Lord from the comics. And not that you can't change a character or adjust a character, because it's an adaptation, so it's not just taking the comic and putting it on film. You have to do your own thing, and that's fine. But I don't think... This character was served well. I don't. I don't think the nuance and the nitty gritty of the character was was utilized. And in some ways, you you really could have done this film without him in it. Period. So, uh, but back to something I mentioned a minute ago: how how stuff works. This was never explained. In fact, there's an overall lack of verisimilitude. In the film I give credit where credit's due Robert Meyer Burnett is someone who used that phrase And probably still does but he used it quite often on Collider heroes John Schnepp rest in peace And so that's it's a great term. So verisimilitude means essentially uh, Your world building your rules of your world. There were a lot of issues with that in this film like how does this wishing stone work and why Did it make Steve Trevor appear in the body of some other dude? That actor, by the way, was in a very short-lived, fantastic show on, I'm pretty sure it was on, yeah, it was on CW uh, called, oh my God, Life uh, Life Unexpected? Hold on, I got to Google this because now it's going to drive me crazy. Life Unexpected, let's see here. Yes, yes, Life Unexpected. It was, well, now you can watch it on CBS All Access. So two seasons. Oh, I guess it was a CBS show, which makes sense. CW is half owned by Warner Brothers, half owned by CBS. Uh, He played the dad on that show. He was great. Good looking dude. That man has a great head of hair. He's got to be in his late 30s, early 40s. That man's hair is outstanding. I'm just very jealous of that man's hair. I've got the Grant Morrison haircut, you know, Patrick Stewart action going on here. Anyway, um, why did he show up in this guy's body? That was never explained. If this stone had the power that it had, why couldn't he have just appeared? And uh, other than they needed a place to kind of bang? I don't know. Um, I mean, it did... The whole scene of the of him putting on clothes was fun. Uh, him mistaking the exercise bike for an actual bicycle was pretty funny. Uh, but beyond that, it just made no freaking sense. And then we talked about the too many villains already. So, so that's the bad one. Of, so let's talk some overall things. One of the things that. A comparison I've heard a lot, especially early on before the film was actually released, is, is you heard how much this film reminded people of and harkened back to the Richard Donner uh, 1978 Superman film. And I think that really is spot on. I just recently rewatched Superman. It really, it's, it's kind of... Um, kind of uncanny how similar in some ways these films are in feel is and in a lot of ways wonder woman 80, 1984 suffers from some of the things same things that superman the movie suffered from an explanation of how stuff works why are some people doing things you know the verisimilitude is just lacking but the heart is there you can watch superman and you know especially with 2021 eyes and critique the special effects and some of the, the dopey acting Uh, Otis, I'm looking at you and the musical choices that, that little musical interlude that happens every time Otis was doing something kind of drove me bonkers. But when you look at specifically Christopher Reeve performance as Superman, as Clark Kent was Phenomenal. I mean, he nailed that character. He got the essence and everything, especially Superman of the 1970s. And that is the same thing within Wonder Woman 84. That essence of the character is spot on perfect. So I think what happens with this film is that with like Superman, it nails the heart, but fails to explain certain things that make it overall a little lacking. And I don't mean this as bad. I liked this movie. I really, really did. I enjoyed it. I do think it's a a film that will not hold up well to scrutiny. If you are someone who likes to nitpick the bejesus out of a film, you're going to hate this movie. You are going to find every little detail to hate and nitpick and tear apart. The CinemaSins folks are probably going to have a field day with this film. If uh, the... I Hate Everything Dude decides to to do one on, on Wonder Woman 84. He's going to have a field day with it. I still, by the way, I really need one of his t-shirts that says, Because Movie, That I, I need that in my wardrobe very badly. If someone wants to send that to me as a present, I would greatly appreciate it. Overall, I think Wonder Woman 84 is a fun, fun movie. And if, if you want to be a nitpicker and you want to you know, not enjoy things and rip apart things that are fun, go for it. More power to you. I'm not going to do that. You know, I, I enjoyed it. I, what are you going to tell? What are you going to say? Uh, so if we're going to grade this thing on the good old Dave Meltzer five star scale, I'd say this is a, um, 3.5. You know, I would give this a 3.5 out of five. I liked it, but I didn't love it. And, uh, there are aspects of it. I enjoyed I don't think it's a movie I'm going to go back to as much as I go back to the first Wonder Woman film or even as much as I've gone back to Man of Steel. But it is something that I think is worth at least one viewing, and um, I really look forward to whatever the third movie is going to be. Uh, They have greenlit Wonder Woman 3 with uh, Patty Jenkins coming back to direct and Gal Gadot coming back to star in it. I can't imagine anyone else playing Wonder Woman. I really can't, not for a very, very long time. That role is hers, and it needs to stay as hers. So that's it. That's my thoughts on Wonder Woman 1984 for this inaugural issue of Sacred Panels. Thank you for joining us. I hope everyone out there had a good holidays and a safe New Year's, and I wish you all the best in 2021. And as a great Jerry Springer used to always say, take care of yourselves and each other. Batman is playing Galaga. Thought we wouldn't notice. But we did.